Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, we're continuing what we began last week. Um, Last week, we talked about generosity and stewardship, and this week, we're talking along the lines of the first fruits of your increase, which very much goes in line with generosity and stewardship. Now, as I mentioned last week, um, giving messages on giving is not something that I normally do. It's something that I've shied away from and a lot of times because I would be uncomfortable in giving messages about giving more than whether or not the person hearing it would be comfortable with it. Um, but I feel like, I feel like what, what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to pour out blessings on us such that it begins to overflow. But before he can do that, God wants to renew our minds and regarding the topics of generosity and stewardship because we need right understanding in those areas in order to have right application. Because once we can begin to walk in generosity and stewardship, that opens up a whole new level for God to be able to pour out blessings upon us such that the blessings that he pours out on us go into our reservoir and flow out. It's almost like if you think about a river that's flowing and it comes to a a lake, it gets dammed up and it begins to pull, If it pulls and never lets out, then something has to change. Either the amount flowing into it has to decrease or something has to change. And we do know that like the Dead Sea is an area where the water flows in, but it never flows out. So you just have the, the salt content increases to the point where it contains no life, right? So we actually need to be like this reservoir where the river flows in and flows out. So God gives it to us so that it can flow through us. And as it flows through us, of course, we're blessed. But the intent is not just so our blessing increases. It's so that the blessing that God wants to pour out comes to us and to those who he intends it for. Because not everything that comes into our hand is for us. Sometimes what comes into our hand is for someone else. And we just need God's direction of who to give it to, and when and where, right? But I I feel like uh, this this was a topic that had kind of come up on on my mind of like, okay, I think I I feel like we need to begin talking about this. And then it was last week, in the middle of the week, I was leaving to go to work, and uh, there had been a book I'd received a few weeks earlier, and the Lord said, take that book. So I took it to my office, and I read it that day, (laughs) and just began this, Processes. Okay, I guess we're talking about generosity and stewardship now as opposed to sometime in the future. So today we may complete this little series or it may flow into uh, next week as well. But I, I suspect we'll be able to complete it today. Uh, but I, I feel like it's going to be transformative for people. Um, transformative in their lives, really, because... God does not want us to walk in a spirit of poverty, but in one of his great provision and blessing. And too often we walk in a spirit of poverty and saying, oh, I, I got to be really careful with, with this because if, 
if I, or, you know, I've got to, I've got to hoard as opposed to be willing to give because I've got to take care of self-preservation. But God's like, no, I, I have you. If you'll give it according to my, my desire, if you'll steward your money according to my desire, then I can actually pour out windows of, you know, I can open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you because I know that you'll be faithful with what I've given you. But that, that's, the, that's the part, is he needs to know that he can, be, he can trust us to be faithful as good stewards of what he's given us and as those who will be generous and give according to his desire. So last week, and speaking of last week, last week we had some technical difficulties, so the YouTube version has problems, but we did get a recording of the, of the audio, and it's on our podcast and on the website, so you can find it in those locations. If you missed last week's, I encourage you to, to listen to it. I will go ahead and give you a few key points from last week before we get into this week, because I just think it just sets us up for this week. But the key points were that everything belongs to God and all the earth, and God enables us to produce wealth. And that wealth comes in various forms, right? And then God calls us to be set apart through generosity and stewardship. And I guess now I'm kind of recapping what I said. But when we're faithful in stewardship and giving first to God, then God can pour out blessings on us. Uh, And when we do this, we're not taking a prosperity gospel approach of we're going to give so that we get. Okay, we are saying we are moving into generosity and stewardship for the sake of being ones who can give even more. So we don't give to get, we give to give. All right? And, and there's, there's a really key difference in that mindset. One is focused on self. I'm going to do this so I get why, as opposed to I really just want to serve God, and I'm going to do this so that I can be the vessel that God can use for his purposes in the kingdom. So it's, it's, it's really reframing our mindset from ones of even selfishness, hoarding, greed, to ones that are giving out of the abundance of our Father who is merciful and giving to us. Now, last week's portion, there were uh, commands regarding holiness, and two of them that we talked about were leaving the corners of the field and the gleanings that fall during the harvest for the poor and for the stranger. And then another one was consecrating the, the fruit of new trees unto God. The first three years, you don't eat of the produce, you burn it. The fourth year, it's consecrated to God. You take it to Jerusalem and, and eat it there. And then the fifth year and on, it's now regular produce. But within the scriptures and giving those commands, God says that when you do this, he will cause the fruit of that tree to increase that he'll be able to bless it and pour out more than it otherwise would produce. And again, it's not for, we're not doing it for our own gain, but for God's blessing to flow in us and through us. Now, in both cases of this giving that we, we talked about last week, it requires one to give them of themselves and to trust God, to have faith that he's going to be the provider, even when you give the first fruits. And in this week's portion, we actually see some of the same topics appear in the chapter on the appointed times. So in Leviticus 23, 
the scripture says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, this isn't quite verbatim what it was four chapters prior, but it's almost exactly the same message. And so a couple of questions come to my mind of, well, why is it repeated twice in a row? And why is it sitting here in the part where we're talking about the appointed times? Because, I mean, yes, the appointed times are celebrations around harvest time, but the gleaning of the field and leaving the corners doesn't seem like it's needed here. And <clears throat> some even argue that the preceding passages speaking about the waving of the first fruit of the barley and waving the first fruit of the wheat are also a little bit out of place because they're offerings. And Leviticus 23 isn't really about offerings. It's about what are the appointed times and how do you set aside time for them. So a couple of things almost seem like they're trying to catch our attention in this passage to point us to something a little bit deeper. In Leviticus 23, verse 9 through 11, we get the commandments about the waving of the omer, of the barley. <clears throat> and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And then skipping forward to verse 14, and you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched, of fresh, parched or fresh until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So what the scripture says here is that to be able to partake of this year's harvest, you first have to bring the first fruit of the barley and wave it before the Lord. And once that has been consecrated unto God, that opens up the harvest unto you. Now, I know a few weeks ago we talked about Yeshua as the first fruits of the resurrection. We talked about the, the omer that's way before the Lord. And um, we aren't going to go into great de detail on that this week. But that's one that's worth going back and reviewing. But the, with the waving of the omer, it opens up the rest of the harvest unto you. If you don't bring that first fruit unto the Lord and wave it, have it waved before him, the, heart, the, the next year's harvest is off limits. It's like, really? Wow. So the, you, couldn't, you cannot eat of the harvest and be doing God's will unless you first bring this barley. And so we begin to ask, well, why? What's so significant, significant about the waving of this barley that then opens up the entire crop? I mean, of course, we can say, well, God said to do it. And that's plain and simple. But there's always a, a deeper meaning than just because God said. We may not always understand the deeper meaning, but there always is a deeper meaning. And in this case, there's going to be a couple of things we're going to look at. One is the aspect of actually waving this before the Lord. I think a few weeks ago we said it's not to get God's attention to say, look, I did it, now I can go eat. It's actually for us. We wave it before the Lord because we're taking that which came from the earth, from the toil of our hands, 
and we're lifting it up into the sky and waving it before the Lord, which symbolizes that that bread came to us from heaven. Heaven being God. Okay, heaven, often in the scriptures when you see kingdom of heaven or uh, sitting at the right hand of the power, these are circumlocutions. Circumlocutions is a long word that means a way of saying something in a roundabout way. Circumlocution? Circumlocution. Circumlocution. So locution is speaking. Circum is around. So it's a way of going around saying something directly. So rather than saying God's name, then heaven or the power or something else is used in its place. So, so when we say, you know, it's lifted up into the sky to give us a remembrance that it came from heaven, it's lifting it into the sky, which is Shemaim, which is heaven, and is also a circumlocution for God. It came from God, even though we, we toiled over it and it came up from the earth. Because that's really the key aspect that God wants is the remembrance that everything that we have comes from him. And not only is it everything that we have comes from him, but this one specifically is pointing the children of Israel back to what took place with them in the wilderness as they were journeying, journeying from Egypt to Mount Sinai. When they were between Passover and Pentecost, something very significant happened on the road. And what happened on the road is that the children of Israel cried out and complained because they didn't have bread or meat to eat. And in Exodus 16, which I don't have it up here on the screen, in Exodus 16, they cry out, and God says that he will answer. And he says that in the evening, you're going to have meat to eat, and in the morning, you will have bread. Exodus 16, 4 says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I shall rain down for you food from heaven. Let the people go out and pick each day's portion on its day so that I can test them whether they will follow my teaching or not. And it shall be that on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring, it will be, a double, it will be double what they pick every day. Now when it says when they shall pick each day's portion, they're picking the omer. The amount of grain that they are to gather is one omer. And the scripture says, when they went out, some gathered more and some gathered less. And when they came home and they weighed it out or measured it out, it was one omer, regardless of what they went out and gathered. Those who tried to hoard lost the extra that they tried to hoard. Those who didn't have enough, God met their needs. But God met all of their needs, giving them an omer of manna every day and twice on Friday so they could have enough for the Sabbath. And the word omer is not a common, common word used in the Torah. In fact, it's here in Exodus 16, it's in Leviticus 23, and then I think it's used one time in Deuteronomy 24. But that's it. Okay? So God's making a connection between these two. He's He's saying, when you come into the land that I give you and you begin to harvest from that ground, you're going to bring the omer and you're going to wave it in the heaven before you can eat anything. Because you need to remember 
that just as I provided for you in the wilderness and I gave you bread from heaven, even now I'm still providing for you. This is from my hand, not yours. But I give it to you because I'm a good father. That's why it's so critical to wave the omer before the Lord, before you eat of the next year's harvest. Because you have to remember it's from God. Lest you come into the land and you come and dwell in cities that you didn't build and you eat of the land and you say, look at what I have done. Right? This is what we even read last week, Deuteronomy 8. Um, Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 18. The scripture says, oh, here it is. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So again, here we've got this multiple connections going on. And, you know, I mentioned how the connection between Leviticus 23 and Exodus 16 is very much tied in with this word omer. But there's also additional things that are mentioned um, within these passages, primarily the day of rest and the double portion that's gathered and how it's God providing. Now, all that carries also into Joshua 5 because God says, when you come into the land, this is Leviticus 23, he says, when you come into the land, you shall offer up this omer. You'll wave it before the Lord. Well, when the children of Israel finally came into the land, 40 years later, they come into the land at the time of Passover. They cross over the Jordan on the 10th day of the month. Joshua circumcises the people, and on the 14th day of the month, they celebrate the Passover. And then after they celebrate the Passover, they then bring an offering to the Lord. So here in Joshua 5, verse 10 through 12, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And in, and in the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So right here we have all the components again. We have Passover. We have eating we have eating the fruit of the land on the day after the Passover and the manna stops. So what's implied in this passage? It's that they actually offered up, they waved the omer before the Lord. Otherwise, they could not have eaten of that harvest there, which is why it brings up the day after the Passover. Again, it's coming back and tying all these stories together. God's saying, look, I've fulfilled what I promised. 
but you need to wave this because the manna is going away, but you can't forget the manna. You've got to remember the manna, the bread from heaven. Because just as I provided for you then, I provide for you now. That doesn't change. And so bringing this first barley and waving it before the Lord ties in really to another principle that you see flow throughout Scripture, and that's the principle of giving the first fruits to God. We find it with animals, both of clean and unclean, that the first fruit belongs to the Lord, even of the firstborn of, of mankind, right? The firstborn that opens the womb is holy to the Lord and is redeemed because he says the firstborn are mine. These are all the things. They're all God's, right? And then he says, now you agree with me that it all belongs to me and give me what I say is mine. And so, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it belongs to you. You're not asking me to give all of it to you because you know that I need and you're going to meet my needs. But there's, there are parts that, you, that God says, these are mine and you will faithfully give them unto me so that I can pour out blessings upon you. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, the scripture says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now that, um, when it says honor the Lord with your wealth, that word, as so many times in Hebrew, has multiple meanings. It's your substance, your sufficiency, your wealth. And from the first fruits of all your produce, and when it says all your produce, it can also be all that which is brought in, or grain, or provision. It's multidimensional, where God's saying, with all that I've given you, give honor unto me, and honor me with the first of what you bring in, so that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. I think a reason why so many struggle with finances is from not paying attention to God's call to give to him what is his and to not manage our money well, first off, and not giving our money well. And so this is really why I feel like it's so important to share the message on giving to God what he says is his because I think it's going to break chains off of families and individuals and move us from a place of lack into fullness of God's provision and walking in a greater measure of his purpose. I don't know if you've heard people talk about the great transfer of wealth that's going to come. There's a lot of people, a lot of prophets talk about the great transfer of wealth that will go to the believers in the end times. Now, what I think about this is like, I, I can agree, you know, if you ever saw Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye says, well, if they would agree, I would agree. And, and I do think that, you know, just as the children of Israel had the Egyptians plundered and given to the children of Israel, I do believe that God intends for believers to walk in prosperity. Not for the sake that they could be rich and flaunt it and have pride and all that, but for God's kingdom purposes poured out. But the thing is, God needs a faithful steward to give that to. He needs a steward 
that is going to be able to contain the blessing and pour the blessing out where God desires as opposed to having a broken cistern that just leaks the blessing everywhere or doesn't use it according to God's will. So I think that for that transfer to happen, he's looking for the, those who will stand and say, okay, I'm going to walk as a faithful steward and I'm going to walk in the generosity that you call me to and use your wealth that you've shared with me according to your desire. Last week we talked a little bit about the importance of giving to God our first as opposed to the leftovers, right? And we mentioned that the leftovers are for the dog, not for the king, right? And that's, we, we talked a little bit about the story of Cain and Abel and how even from the very beginning, offerings were being made unto God. And we saw a clear example of what was pleasing to God and what was not pleasing to God. And in the scriptures, Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the first of his flock and their fat and their portions. And the issue was not whether it was a product of the ground or an animal. The issue was what was the quality of what was being brought. Cain just brought something of his harvest. Abel brought the best of his. Both things were the fruit of their labors. But Abel's offering was accepted because he brought to the Lord the best. It's the same thing that God's looking for. He's saying, honor me with your first fruits so that I can pour out blessings upon you. It's not go do everything that you want to do and then give me whatever you have left over. It's give me your first, trust me with that, and I will pour out blessings upon you. Because it takes faith to give God the first. Because there's no guarantee that the rest is coming, even with your harvest, right? The, the, the harvest is such a perfect picture of it. You bring God the first, and a hailstorm may come tomorrow and wipe out the rest. But you're trusting God to be the protector and provider and he's testing us in it to see whether we will follow his commands. You know, there's a story in 1 Kings 17. Um, we won't go there and look at it, but seven, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah goes to a woman. God sent him specifically to a woman and said, go ask her to make you a meal. And she's gathering sticks to make a fire so that she can go and cook her and her son's last meal and then die, because they have no provisions left. And Ezekiel says, but first, make me something to eat, and God's going to provide for you. And so she goes and makes food for him, and God causes her provision not to run out. It was going to be her last meal. She had nothing else. She had nothing else. But because she listened God was able to multiply what she had and be able to keep that provision being poured out. This is the whole thing. It doesn't make sense in the natural that we could take what's in our account and deplete it and have more. That doesn't make any sense. But we're not dealing with just the natural. We're dealing with a God 
who is all-powerful and has all things in his hand and can pour out blessings and multiply when he wants to, right? In Malachi 3, verses 7 through 12, we read the scripture last week and didn't really go into it, but we'll go into it a little bit more today. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, when we look at this passage, we have a few things. God says, you're robbing me by not giving to me what I have commanded you to bring. And he says that there is a curse for that robbing, whereas God's desire is to pour out blessing. And he says, test me in this. Bring in the whole tithe so there will be food in my house. He says, test if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. There's a promise of provision and protection. Just like, you know, uh, back when we read about going up on the pilgrimage feasts to God, he says that he will protect their land as they go up. Why? Because it's all the males 20 years and up who are going. That leaves the land undefended. But God says, I will be your defender. So just in the same way here, he says, when you come and you bring in the whole tithe, I'm going to provide and I'm going to protect. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes this is used in the prosperity aspect of look how much you're going to get blessed. And sometimes there's obje objections to looking at this passage and talking about it with tithing in today's age because you say, well, you know what, this is really talking about the produce from the land of Israel, and it's really just talking about agri agricultural products. Now, I don't believe that this is limited to just this specific application. I believe this is hitting on a key principle, because we need to ask the reverse question as well. Does God only want farmers to remember that God gave them all that they need? Does God only want farmers to be generous? And does God only want to bless farmers? All reasonable questions if we say this only applies in that. And then we have to kind of forget that Proverbs 3.9 says, Bless the Lord with all of your substance, all of your wealth, and honor him with the first fruits, first fruits of all your produce. And that Deuteronomy 8, as we talked about, talked about not only your agricultural products, but it said your silver and your gold and all your wealth. This, this goes far beyond just the um, agricultural aspect. And really what we have to do is not just look back to the tithe or the offering that Cain and Abel brought and to see that the principle of giving the first has been there from the beginning, 
but also even to say, well, what about the tithe? You know, is the tithe done away with because there's no temple? Is the tithe done away with because, to some degree, because we're not in Israel and not farmers? What we have to do is look back to what are other examples in the scriptures of the tithe, both before Sinai and after. So in the ancient Near East, tithes were given to the, in the temples and to a king so that it would be brought into the temple. But it exists across multiple cultures. And we saw two really key examples of a tithe given in the book of Genesis. One was with Abraham in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. So Abraham had just gone and waged war against the kings who had taken Lot captive along with Sodom and Gomorrah and some other cities. And he, God gave him the victory. And here in verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So here, Abram's giving a tithe unto Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now in Hebrews, we can read that Melchizedek was an eternal priesthood. Right? Had neither father nor mother. In Jewish tradition, Melchizedek is thought to be Shem. Okay, but regardless, Abram's giving a tithe unto this king who is a priest unto God, such that it goes into the house of God and he gives it of everything. This is spoils of war, not agriculture. It's whatever wealth that it was that he captured. He gave a tenth of it. And then we go forward to Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22, and we see with Jacob. After Jacob has had his encounter, when he saw the ladder from heaven, Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So here it is again. He is pledging a tenth of everything that God will give him. Now, if you recall, at this time, Jacob has nothing except his staff in his hand. And he is headed to Laban's house to, house to acquire a wife from a man who's very greedy. So Jacob's like, I have nothing to offer and get my bride. I have nothing from which to produce wealth. But God, I believe that you are going to provide for me. And I know that all the provision I receive will be from your hand. And I will give it to you back as a tithe. And that sets the precept for the, the tithing even in what is given uh, through the commandments through Moses. So, so we see all the spoils of war, of all that is given, not just agriculture, being a principle that even preceded what was given before the children of Israel came in and had the land. And then we can also look to what occurs in the time of Yeshua to get an idea for what was taking place. In the, in the scriptures, there's certain uh, grains that are said to be tithes, tithed. And so then the question becomes, well, does it go beyond that or is the tithe really limited? So we have to look at what was the practice of Israel at the time of Yeshua. 
How did they understand the scripture and apply it? In Luke 18, 11 through 12, there was a Pharisee, the, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, scholars take note of this in saying, I pay tithes of all that I get. Again, this is saying, I do it of all. And then we also know from Matthew 23, 23, that the tithe, according to practice, was to go beyond just the tithes, tithe of the primary species of the land of Israel. Because Yeshua says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So tithing mill, dent, dill, mint, dill, and cumin were not listed specifically in the Torah, yet the practice was to do that. And Yeshua said, it's good that you do this. He didn't say, hey, look, that's not written in the Torah. Why are you doing it? He said, no, you have rightly applied the principle of giving unto God, recognizing that everything comes from him, but you've neglected these other aspects. You should have done both. You should have done both. So Yeshua affirms this aspect. Now let's go even beyond Yeshua and let's go into the time of the apostles. In the Didache, in chapter 13, okay, the Didache, if you're not familiar with it, it is the teaching well, it's a Greek manuscript written specifically to Gentiles of how they're to walk out their faith in God as followers of Yeshua. And so you'll find a lot of things overlapping between the Gospels and the Didache. But in, in the 13th chapter of the Didache, it's all about giving it's all about giving, and it's specifically with giving to true prophets. Because there's no temple to give to, it's, you're going to give to those who are carrying the word of God and teaching you. Okay, Just as the tithe was brought to the Levites, who were often also teachers of Israel. So the same principle was applied here to the prophets and those who would bring the good news, and then uh, given that way. So it says, but, to, but every true prophet who wants to live among you is worthy of his support. And so it goes on, so also as a true teacher, is, uh, as a workman of his support. And it goes on, it says, every first fruit, therefore, of the product, products of wine and threshing floor and oxen and sheep you shall take and give to the prophets, for they are your high priests. And then they say, but if you have no prophet, give it to the poor. So again, the same concept of you're going to give it to essentially the house of God for the purpose of the kingdom. And if you can't do that, give it to the poor. Either way, you're taking and you're making use of what the first fruit of what God has given you for his kingdom purposes. And then they even talk, goes forth further to talk about if you make a batch of dough, give the first fruit. When you open a jar of wine or oil, give the first fruit. And then it says, and of money and clothing and every possession, take the first fruit. So this is not something that in the eyes of the apostles or in the eyes of Yeshua or in the eyes of the Pharisees 
where it's a limited aspect, but it was a broad-based aspect that endures from back in the time of Abraham and Cain and Abel all the way to today that we are to give unto the Lord. There's many other uh, parables as well. I mean, you can look at it on your own. I won't go there now. But Luke chapter 20 is when God, Yeshua says that God planted a vineyard and he put people to work it. He sent someone to get some of the produce and they beat them and wouldn't give them. And so Yeshua says, I'm going to throw them out because they were not faithful stewards. He's really hitting the priests there. But it extends to others as well. Um, so the call is to honor the Lord from our wealth and from the first fruit of all of our produce. And God promises that blessings will follow. Now, with this again, I want us to have kind of the right understand or a healthy understanding of what's taking place. Again, that it's not we give to get and to build our own kingdom. We give to be faithful and build God's kingdom. So, I don't know how well, it may not be big enough. I may have shrunk things down a little too far, but if we look here at the top, we obey by giving to God and we receive blessing. And God sees the obedience, which is our giving, and he pours out blessing upon us. But I feel like this is too limited of a view of what's going on because there's other elements that really need to take place is the aspect of why do we obey and why does God care about that obedience and it comes down to the love of God, right? So really we love God and because we do love God, we obey and give according to his word and we receive blessing. God loves us and sees our obedience and blesses us. But even this I feel like is still lacking another really important element, okay? And it's this last part, that God loves us, so he gives to us his own. He gives to us his own, and then he sees our obedience and blesses us. And it's because he gives to us his own, because he first loved us, that we love him. Right? This is such a, a key aspect to our love for God and our recognition of Him as our Father and provider that then puts us into a heart position of saying, Lord, I desire to do your will. And I willingly go to do your will. And I do it not for my own sake, but for yours. And with the God giving us his own, he gave us his own first fruits. For the first fruit of all mankind. He gave Yeshua to us so that Yeshua could be our redemption and be the first fruit of the resurrection. The bread sent down from heaven who gives us everlasting life and right relationship with God. So if God will give us his first, then him asking us to give him the first fruits of all that he gives us doesn't seem to be a stretch. Because again, it's all from him. It's all from him. So we can be a living sacrifice. 
because Yeshua was a living sacrifice for us. We can give the first fruits and even beyond the first fruits and the tithe to give sacrificially unto the Lord because he so graciously gave unto us. And that's a key difference. You know, there's multiple levels of giving. There's giving the tithe unto God, and then there's offerings given to God. The tithe is 10%. The offerings are above and beyond the 10%. The tithes are prescribed in Scripture. The offerings are free will. But in both cases, we're to give cheerfully and with a heart and attitude of love unto God, believing in Him that He will do according to what He said. I've heard people say, you can't outgive God, right? And it has to be true. Because if, if we can be generous in our state of imperfection, how much more is God generous who is perfect in everything, in all his ways? Now, with the aspect of he gives to us his own and then calls us to go and to give. Okay, it made me think about what is it we give? Only that which we first received is really what we give. In Matthew 10, verses 5 through 10, Yeshua sent out 12 after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the wor worker is worthy of his support. Now, what stands out and brought me to this passage in the first point is freely you received, freely give. So the question is, what is it that they freely received that Yeshua is telling them to freely give? Was it healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons? I don't know that it was. Okay? Because which one of the 12 were raised from the dead, <laughs> you know, cleansed of leprosy? Instead, I think what it is, is go out and preach the kingdom of heaven, the evidence of which is healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons. But freely you have received the kingdom, freely give the kingdom to those who are in need of this gospel message. Right? So we're freely to give that which we have received from God. Now, there's a passage, I don't think, do I have it here? I do, okay. First Chronicles 29, I'll, I'll give a little background, how about that? So the people have brought lavish gifts for preparing the way for the construction of the temp temple, but this is in the days of, of uh, David, and he's not going to be the one who builds the temple. But people have brought great riches as a freewill offering unto, unto God. Now, from Malachi 3, when we read that about the tithes and the offerings, when, when God says, you've robbed me by not bringing in the fullness of the tithe and the offering, it's the ma'aser, which is the tithe, which is, the word means from the tenth. 
And then that's also the Teruma. The Teruma is a first fruit offering given directly to the priests. And Teruma is also used to describe free will offerings that were given for the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And God says, that's my portion. The people shall take to me a Teruma, my portion for the building of the tabernacle. Well, now here in the time of David, when they're bringing a Teruma, they're bringing a free will gift that is just lavish for the building of the temple. And here in 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 12, David says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Okay, so, and then he goes on. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Notice this. David repeated a couple of times that we just gave abundantly to you, but everything we gave is yours, and it all came from your hand. Now, that's not to make little of the giving of the people, and the favor on which God looked on their free will, love, and adoration, and desire to make a place for him? Because it, it, it is, in their aspect, it's, it is giving, it is sacrificial, it is loving. And God knows it, and he sees it. The key is for David and the people recognizing, even though I'm being greatly generous, it's all God's and from God anyway. I wouldn't have even the ability to bless God were it not for him making me able to produce this wealth and him providing all that is needed for the crops to grow and for the prosperity to come to us that he is filling up and providing our needs. So that's the mindset that we really need to grow in is that everything in your bank account comes from God. Everything of the flow that comes through your hand comes from God. Every gift that you give, whether it's to the church or to the poor, is from God's hand. And he is able to multiply what you give, not just in making more out of what you gave, but also of replenishing so that your vats overflow. It may not seem logical, and it may be that you're saying, well, I don't have money to give. It could be that you don't have money to give because you don't give. That's a hard thing to think about. 
especially when you're saying, I'm really trying to make ends meet. It's like, well, are you making ends meet or is God going to make your ends meet? And I've heard testimony after testimony of God's provision. God is faithful to those who are good stewards and who are generous according to his ways and give according to how he has asked, who say, you know what, I'm going to wave this omer before the Lord. I'm going to give this first fruit to the Lord because it helps me to recognize that it all came from God's hand. It all ultimately belongs to him, and it's all for his glory. We become that vessel that the river flows through. It fills our cup and overflows as a blessing when we walk in that. And we do this. This is really a key aspect is that we do it from a place of gratitude and thanksgiving. We can't do it from gratitude and thanksgiving if we think it comes from our hand. Because then we think, look how good it is what I just did, and now you owe me something. It's like, you owe me nothing, God. Because everything has come from you in the first place. And I'm just doing what a faithful servant does. Now, in 2 Corinthians 9, actually, do I have it in here? I don't think I do. No, 2 Corinthians 9. This is a fantastic passage on giving. Um, and back, back this summer, or maybe it was last summer, I can't remember now. Yeah, well, it was last summer because <laughs> we're not summer yet. <laughs> ah, well, whatever. Um, accounting of time. How about that? Okay. When uh, we were printing out new giving envelopes and I was looking through the scriptures, I'm like, yeah, I don't, don't like these various scriptures. And then this scripture just hit me. And it was 2 Corinthians 9, 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And I was like, man, that's it. And, and now that I've you know, been doing the study on giving and having my mind renewed, I come back to that verse and I say, wow. How beautiful was that verse in encapsulating the whole concept of this picture of he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Pretty cool. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 and 11 is what I just read. Now, if we back up a little bit in that passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 
As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. So again, it's this principle of if you are generous and if you sow generously, God will sow generously into you for the sake of you sowing generously all the more and to bring blessing to you because God does desire to bless his people financially. But it's not, it's not, the, uh, it's not the mindset of I'm going to give so that I can drive a fancy car. Right? Just look at my truck, people. <laughs> no, but it, it's, uh, yeah, it, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a key element of not giving grudgingly or under compulsion, because he's actually talking about an offering above and beyond what a tithe is. But he's talking about the cheerfulness and joy that we get from being a blessing, from giving unto God, because he first gave to us. And there was an example uh, if you would like to hear more on this topic of, of giving and get a lot of good examples, uh, Robert Morris gives a wonderful teaching series called The Blessed Life. And um, it's well worth your time listening to that series. But one of the things that becomes very important with our stewardship is um, recon, you know, with the recognition that everything belongs to God is to listen to his voice to say, well, God, you know, I give faithfully unto you. I give the tithe. But now, what other opportunities do you want me to walk in? Where else would you have me support? And be listening for what he gives you because there may be times that he wants you to give to an individual who's in need, even if it's... You never know what the purpose may be. And it may be that he wants you to let go of something so that he can fill your hand with something better. Okay? Even though we're like, but what, this thing that's in my hand is really good. And you want me to give it up? Ooh, I don't know. I just got it. But again, if we remember that not everything that comes into our hand is for us, it might actually be so that we become the vessel that transfers it over then we can say yes, because as we take it, as we receive it in our hand and hand it over, we don't have to feel any loss because we say it wasn't ours to begin with. It was God's. And Robert Morris gives this example of a time when he was uh, just a traveling minister. And God told him, look, don't take, don't tell people what your need is. You know, don't, and don't try to manipulate any situation. Um, and, and so people would ask, you know, they'd say, hey, you know, can you come speak? And they said, well, what, what is it that you require, you know? And he says, no, I don't require anything, but I'll be there. And the, the pastor responded and he said, good, because I didn't even think we could pay your gas to get you here. And so, so Robert Morris is like, okay. So he starts driving and he doesn't have money for gas. <laughs> I th actually, he may have had money for gas. But he fills up his tank and he goes in. And the person working in the station says, it's taken care of, you don't owe anything. God told me to pay for your gas. It's like, oh, all right. Praise God, right? So then he goes on and he gets there and he gives the message. And the, the pa after the message, the pastor gets up and tells the congregation, hey, um, 
you know, he's, he said that he doesn't require any, any kind of financial gift, but uh, we are going to take up an offering. If you'd like to give anything, you know, please do so. And so they took up the offering, and they, they brought the check to him at the, end of this, at the end of the service. And the pastor saw it and was like, wow, we've never given this generously, you know. And so he hands the check to him, and Robert Morris looks at it, and he's like, this is the exact amount of our monthly budget. This is our only speaking engagement this month. Amazing. God just gave everything we need in this month without us even asking, saying what our need was. Okay? And then the Lord shows him a person in the back of the room who had spoken earlier, who was a missionary. God says, give the check to him. He's like, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, you just provided my whole monthly need, just like you said you were going to do, and now you just said I have to give it away? What is going on? But he knew, but, you know, God said, I want you to give it to him. So he goes and he gives the check to the missionary. He's like, okay, Lord, I don't know. And there were a group of people who were going out to eat. And, and uh, they said, hey, you want to come to eat, eat lunch with us? Have, have some pizza? And he's like, sure. And so they go out to, to lunch. And he and his wife are sitting opposite ends of the table, and there's somebody sitting next to him, and there's a group of people start talking about some, maybe, I can't remember, maybe it was sports. And, and uh, the person sitting next to him says, so uh, how much was the check? And, and, and Robert, of course, knew exactly how much the check was. I can't remember if he told the guy what the amount was. No, no, he didn't at this time. He's like, I can't remember, it's like something like, okay, it's, it was sufficient. And he says, well, let me see it. And Robert goes, um, Debbie has it. <laughs> he just, his response was, my wife has it. She's at the other end of the table. And the guy goes, go get it. And so he's like, oh, my goodness. So he walks to the other end of the table, and he bends over to his wife. He says, hey, hon, how's your pizza? You know, things good? Okay, good. You know, he comes back over, he sits down, he's like, it's in the car. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he says, it's not in the car. He's like, you don't have it, do you? And he's like, no. He's like, he... <laughs> and uh, and, he, and uh, so then the guy says, you gave it away. And he's like, yeah, I, I gave it away. And uh, he said, well, you know, I don't even go to this church, but the Lord told me to come here today and to give you this. And he gave him a check that was 10 times exactly the amount of the check that he had given to the missionary. So in other words, it was, because the check was to the penny. Okay, now you multiplied it by 10 and it still matched to the penny of what God told him to give. That's incredible. But the, the, you look at what was happening. It didn't make sense. It's like you have a need. Wouldn't it be good to tell people about the need? But then God comes and he matches the budget just because he orchestrated the giving and what he told people to give. And then he puts Robert to the test and says, I just placed into your hand the only provision you know you have. But, I, but I'm not, but this isn't yours. It's that missionary's. Because you need to let go of this so that I can pour out an even greater blessing. You're giving to give. You're giving to give. And this is, this is who our God is. 
This is a God who loves his people so much that he first gives to us out of his own possession, out of his own treasure, giving us the best of his best, and giving us a new life through Yeshua, and says, now come, as those who are redeemed and are mine, and who now are walking according to my ways, if you're going to walk according to my ways, you're going to give the best of your best, because that's what I do. And I first modeled it for you so that you now know what it looks like and how to do it. So he says, bring the whole tithe and offering into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that it overflows. And he's calling us to do that. He's calling us, though, to prepare ourselves for the blessing. Right? And how do we do that? By beginning to walk today so that we are ready to receive when he's ready to pour out. And we do it out of love, out of gratitude, out of thankfulness. And that's really what the tithe and the teruma are brought out of, is gratitude and thanksgiving. And we didn't look at it in here in depth today, but we've talked about it before. There's so many things within that tithe and teruma that bring about elements and even what is said when the offering is brought that bring forth remembrances of Jacob's promise, of God's faithfulness, of the Omer, of God being our all-sufficient provider. So may we walk as faithful stewards. May we have our minds renewed as those who walk in generosity and giving unto God so that we can be the blessing and be blessed according to the ways that he desires to, to pour that out. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? Yes, um, can we get the microphone? I thought it was, I thought it was a good message. Um, but I think that my wife and I have been married a long time, like, like 46 years. But during that time, you know, things always come up, expenses and whatever, and it's you know, sometimes you don't have the money, but the Lord has always provided it. But one instance in particular, about 20 years ago, we had a major repair that came up on our house, and we didn't have the money for it. And back then, I had written a book. It was a technology book for teachers. And the royalties from that book that month were to the dollar <laughs> we needed to pay the bill. Praise God. Yeah, it was amazing. Praise God. And, and that's the faithfulness of God, to, to be the one who desires to bless his children and to meet our needs. Yeah. I know you said we don't give to get, but these testimonies produce faith, and so I was just going to share a quick one mm -hmm. for us, too. We listened years ago in 2020 to Robert Morris's series that you're talking about, and it inspired us so much. We were never faithful with our tithe because we always lacked. And there was a curse on our finances for years and years being married. And we were always in debt. We were always struggling. We were never able to really take that leap and just say, you know what? We're going to trust you, Lord. We're going to give you the, the first tithe. Mm -hmm. And so Michael and I started doing that. And we were so excited to start. And within three weeks, Michael was let go from his job and started his own business. And it was a desire of his heart that he always had. And now, looking forward, as we've tithed and give, give more, 
His business has grown. We finally are out of debt. We've been out of debt since we started tithing. And it's just been amazing to see how God has blessed us. Mm -hmm. Not that we give to be blessed, but just it it felt like a curse was lifted off of our finances. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's been amazing to watch. So I want to share that testimony with you. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that because... You talk about the curse. There's a poverty spirit that affect, that afflicts people. And then, you know, when, say we want to give, but then something comes up and, oh, I got a flat tire and now I got to pay for that. Well, do you know that there are forces that are at work to keep you from walking in God's ways and are going to try to hinder you at every turn and give you every reason to doubt why you should give so that you don't actually move forward and break the curse and move out of poverty? I mean, it is... It is a legitimate strategy of the enemy to keep us enslaved, whereas God has given us the way of freedom. And yes, Chelsea. So um, I can't say everything that I want to say because the youth are in here, and I'm going to say it later. But there's a great blessing at the after. You know how we're supposed to bless God after we eat? Oh, yes. You know that blessing? It's, um, I was young, but now I've become old, and I've never seen a righteous man forsaken or his children begging bread. I always think about that because uh, when, when I was younger, that verse got us through a lot, and that's just, so don't forget to thank God after you eat, because it makes a difference. Yes, amen, and, and that, that is a so often overlooked, I'm terrible at praying after I eat and blessing God, but that's the whole thing. That's just like the remembrance of, you know what, I've eaten and I'm full, and I'm not going to forget that you are the one who provided for me. It's great to pray before and thank God. You know, we bless God for, for the meal before we eat. But, and also remember, we're not blessing the food. We're blessing the giver of the food. And so we bless him for giving it. And then we bless him in thanksgiving also at the end, remembering that he's still the provider, even though now we are satisfied. Right. I just want to say that I think... Uh, I, in fact, you were kind of uh, saying something I was about to say that you said that, you know, after we eat, we forget to thank God. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles I, I think I have at, in life. We don't, like in America, we don't rest. We have to make ourselves, you know what I mean? We don't, our whole culture, that's why Shabbat is so important, but we don't rest. Our culture, like other countries that I remember visiting other countries, mission trips and other things, they don't already have anything, but yet they take off two hours in the middle of the day and they rest and they you know, they prioritize, I'm not saying they prioritize God necessarily, but they prioritize the reality that, because in, in busyness, we struggle to remember things. We, str- we forget, we, we, you know, and we also, in busyness, we, you know, that's where our emotions get involved. We get angry, frustrated, whatever, because life, there's so much going on. And there's so many different directions you're being pulled in. And I think that's a hard part, is trying to prioritize within a culture that's designed to keep us busy, to not mm-hmm. forget. I think it's one of the works of the enemy to keep us busy. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't relish rest like we mm-hmm. used to generations ago. I remember my grandparents and the farm and all the stuff, mm-hmm. and they worked hard, but they also knew how to rest. Yeah. They understood the balance of that very well. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. it's something we have to fight against. Mm-hmm. In other words, within our culture just as a whole, to not do so much that we can't remember yeah. how important God is. So, yeah. yeah. That's really good. As you were talking about that, it made me think about it. if we wait until we have time to rest, to rest, we'll never rest. If, if, if we wait until we have money to tithe, we'll never tithe. Same, it's the same concept. It's, we have to make room for what's important, and then what's important can shine through. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, we give you glory and thanks and praise. We thank you that everything is yours and that you have first given to us out of your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us your best and your son, Yeshua. Thank you for the life we have. Lord, I ask that you'd renew our minds. Lord, that we would walk in faithfulness as stewards of what you have given to us and to walk in a spirit of generosity out of thanksgiving and out of gratitude, Lord, for you are good and you do good. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, you would strengthen us, that you would go before us. Lord, I ask that you would help us to make time for what's important, to give and to uh, see chains broken, curses lifted off, and to walk into a newness and a fullness in what you have laid out before us. Lord, I thank you for all that you are and all that you're leading us into. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.